Flyers Daily with Jason Mertidis. All right, here we go. Flyers Daily for Wednesday, March 2nd, as the Flyers fall to the Edmonton Oilers by a final score of 3 to nothing. Flyers shut out in the game. Shut out for the fifth time this season in 53 games. Uh, I'm not a math major, but 53 games, about 9% of the Flyers' games, they have been shut out this season. First time they were shut out was against the Calgary Flames back on October 30th. That was a 4-0 shutout to wrap up their first road trip of the season. Then they got shut out against Toronto 3-0 on November 10th. Then shut out against the Tampa Bay Lightning November 23rd. for the That was the third of the season. New Jersey on December 8th. That was the fourth of the season. And then obviously last night at Wells Fargo Center, suffering a 3-0 defeat against the Edmonton Oilers. In the game, they actually outshoot Edmonton 39-32. Expected goals in the game were roughly the same for each team. Flyers had a 5-on-3 man advantage, which they failed to capitalize on. And it's almost stunning. They have not scored a 5-on-3 goal all season long, despite having a top five most amount of time of any team on a 5-on-3 man advantage in the league this year. They do have a 6-on-3 goal. Had the goalie pulled and got a goal on a 6-on-3, but have yet to score on a 5-on-3. The goal turned out to be the game winner. Happened at 17-41 of the first period. It was on the power play for Edmonton when Leon Dreisaitl picked up his 37th of the season. And I mean, just a stunning amount of goals already. And he he picks up a, a point in the game and a couple of points in the game because he assists on the empty net goal that Connor McDavid got at 18-20 of the third. And Kyle Yamamoto picked up uh, the second period goal that gave Edmonton the 2-0 lead. Then, as I said, uh, at 18-20, Connor McDavid picked up his 29th of the season, and that gave Edmonton the 3-0 win. So two points for Dreisaitl, two points for McDavid. McDavid now has 77 points on the season, 76 points for Leon Dreisaitl. Point getters number one and two in the NHL, and Edmonton uh, playing a far better brand of hockey over their last 10 since the coaching change to Dave Tippett. And a team that is and 7-3 in their last 10 games, uh, with the two points they grabbed last night, puts themselves back into wild card number two in the Western Conference. And the Flyers fail to win back-to-back games. They had that win against the Washington Capitals on Saturday, 2-1, to uh, but lose 3 nothing to Edmonton. Wasn't a perfect game for the Flyers. And again, we saw the uh, the issue that one of the one of the issues that has really plagued them this season, and it's that inability to score goals off the rush, inability to generate goals. They generated scoring opportunities, but just lacked the finish. And that comes with a having people out of the lineup, key components to your team offensively, uh, but also a team that's a, a bit bereft of high end talent, as Chuck Fletcher and Danny Briere have termed it. And uh, it again seems like. For the Flyers to score, they just have to work so hard to score and exert so much to score and not able to score at all against Edmonton. And you look at Edmonton, and I saw some of the narrative on Twitter that, I mean, Edmonton's a one of the bottom defensive teams in the NHL. And on the season, yeah, they are. They're, they are a team that has struggled uh, to keep the puck out of their net. They're a high-flying offensive team that's not great defensively. But if you want to just scream and yell into the clouds, you have to look not at what a team is in total this season. A more educated look at it, look at what they are over their last 10 games. 
and look at what the goalie who played in that game last night has been now over his last nine games. Miko Koskinen, yeah, the Edmonton Oilers have struggled to keep the puck out of their net on a whole for this season, but over their last 10 games, they've been much better at keeping the puck out of their net. Miko Koskinen, over his last nine games now, has a record of 7-0-1 and and has a 9, well, going into the game last night, had a 9-15 save percentage. Obviously, he upped that pretty significantly last night, probably about 9-19 now. He's been very good for the Edmonton Oilers of late and made some big saves in the game against the Flyers last night. But uh, the team still needs to generate more offense. Generating scoring chances is good. Some high-danger chances in there as well. Uh, But to have to have that finishing ability. Obviously, the Flyers, a flawed team this year. There's no two ways about it. And uh, those flaws showed up last night. Not to mention, you put, you know, a team like Edmonton with that lethal power play uh, on the man advantage five times in the game. They only get the one power play goal. So if you go one out of five, that's actually not bad. That's below their average. But uh, third in the NHL on the power play. Struggled for a while. Has really kind of been hitting its stride again of late for Edmonton. And when you look at the last three years with that core of players that they throw out there on the power play, the last three seasons combined, Edmonton clicks at 28%. The second place team in the NHL is 3.2 percentage points below that, the second team in the NHL. And that's a lot because this is obviously a very large sample size over three seasons. The teams from second through eighth are all within a single percentage point of each other at like 25.2% to 25.0% to 24.9%. That's how close they are. Edmonton far and away above that over the last three years. And you see that power play, how it just kind of sets you up power play in and power play out. And the Flyers in the second period of this game, down one nothing, had to kill off three power plays for Edmonton. So that's six minutes of PK time. Now they did it, and they killed them. But the disruption that is to your bench, because only certain guys play on the PK, so those other guys that don't play PK, um, they're robbed of minutes and the amount of flow and rolling lines and being able to get keep guys into the game and, and keep that flow going is obviously disrupted. It's more difficult, on, especially on the players that are on the PK, especially because it's in the second period where the long change happens, so it's more difficult to get off the ice in a timely fashion. Plus, Edmonton tends to own the puck on the power play with the talent they throw out there with McDavid and Dreisaitl and others. And then those players that are out there killing penalties are exerting more energy than just normal five-on-five play because PK is hard minutes. You're chasing the play. You're not possessing the puck. The other team's dictating the terms and you're reacting. There's a higher exertion level when you're reacting to play as opposed to when you're dictating play. So that's part of the equation as well. Can't take five penalties against the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, some stick penalties in there. Yeah, McDavid causes some just with his speed, but there was also there was a penalty in the second period on Travis Konechny where he just gets a stick into a feet of a, a de, of a Edmonton player in the neutral zone, and it's just kind of half-hearted play, and those are the ones that uh, really can't happen. Uh, Oscar Lindblom was called for a penalty when you know his stick ended up between the legs and ended up tripping an Edmonton player. There was no intent with his stick. The Edmonton player actually skates into his stick where it is, but 
those things happen. And look, the Flyers went on a power play in the game that they didn't deserve because Travis Konechnik caught a high stick. It actually was Ivan Provorov's stick. So those things balance out. Flyers killed off those PKs. But anyway, uh, still very difficult uh, when you take that many penalties against a team like Edmonton, who it's ironic because in that second period with the six minutes of power play time, each team came out of the period with 11 shots on goal. Edmonton owned the puck because of the power play possession numbers, but they ultimately uh, didn't generate a lot of opportunities off it. Flyers did a pretty good job on the penalty kill when you kill off four of five for the Edmonton Oilers, killing off 80%. That's pretty good uh, when you consider what they throw out there from a power play perspective. But it's a loss for the Flyers to look to get back on it coming up on Thursday when they take on the Minnesota Wild as the homestand continues. It'll be game number six on Thursday. Then they'll see the Chicago Blackhawks on Saturday, and then they'll wrap up the eight-game homestand with the Vegas Golden Knights a week ago last night. Now, a couple of things that I wanted to get to in this episode. Um, Number one, I heard Elliot Friedman on the Jeff Merrick radio show talking about Rasmus Ristolainen. And, you know, there's been some conversation out there and some reporting from Frege and others, some local as well, um, talking about Ristolainen and will he extend here? Does he want to go to market? Does he want to, uh, you know, can the Flyers recoup some of the acquisition costs they paid to get him, which was obviously pretty significant, first-round pick, Robert Haig, uh, other picks, so pretty significant package. And if he's not going to sign an extension, then you absolutely have to kind of try and recoup some of those acquisition costs from last summer. And, you know, one of the things with Ristolainen, and he's going to get a raise because he's at $5 million now. And, you know, the rough ballpark number that's been thrown out there, I think Fridge has alluded to it as well, at six times six, six, six times 6.25. And when Fridge went on Jeff Merrick's radio show and talked about it, it sent the Flyers fans into a tizzy. So, and obviously there's the debate that we saw when they first acquired him, the analytics community versus the eye test or whatever you want to call it. We had Ian Anderson on Flyers director of analytics on yesterday's episode, and he provided a lot of insight on team analytics versus public analytics. We didn't get into specific players and um, that's part of the deal. We're not going to comment on specific players. He wasn't going to comment on specific players, but you know, I always look for kind of try to go to that second level of thinking when you, you know, have a, a polarizing player like that and go, okay, if the analytics are so bad and the public analytics, and I've seen them, they're not good. And I think the, the player does have more value and has some areas where analytics don't take certain things like physicality, fear on the ice into the equation. So, I was thinking about this on my ride down to the game yesterday, and as everybody's kind of outraged, oh, what a disaster signing Rasmus Tristelainen would be at that number and six years and the term and all the different ramifications thereof. And I get it. I know some people value it to, to different degrees than others, and some people value physicality in today's game to different degrees than others. But The one thing that I came back to, and it's just a point of consideration that I want to bring up here, and it's this. You know, when we had Ian Anderson on, he talked about the growth of the analytics department for the Flyers. It is now five people deep, five full-time employees, five well-paid full-time employees. And the organization obviously sees value 
in analytics. That's obvious because they wouldn't commit five full-time positions of employment and compensation, health benefits, and all the stuff that goes with it if they didn't believe in it, if they didn't believe it was a tool to help them. So with that said, with a team that obviously values analytics, why would, if, if he's the, the mess that some people think analytically, why would they sign him? Why would they want to extend him? Why would they have acquired him if the team analytics matched the public analytics? If he was as detrimental when he's on the ice as the public analytics or some of the analytics community makes you think? So why would you hire five people in an analytics department to do everything that they do, and the task is mighty, as Ian alluded to, but why would you do all that and then just completely defy them and not take the analytics into the equation? Well, the truth is, is that team analytics are different. They are different because teams have more data available. A lot of the public analytics are done almost manually, per se. Team analytics are done in that way, and certain teams value certain things in analytics and maybe interpret some things slightly different. But one thing we talked about with Ian Anderson was that the teams also get puck tracking data from the NHL. This is all stuff that's going to be integrated into broadcasts and exertion levels, players wear a monitor, the puck has the chip in it, the whole thing. And, I mean, even just yesterday, the NHL's new in-game face-off probability uh, is, gonna, is a thing that's happening now. And that combines data tech, and technology to enhance the viewer experience on specifically face-offs. Teams have access to all of this data, which is why when Ian was on, he said this was a, a 10x with the data dump that the NHL got for them. And there's going to be even more coming. And I'm reading this article about the face-off, you know, data and predictability and probability that's going to be integrated into broadcast. It said, quote, the face-off prediction model has to be flexible to generate predictions as the game situation changes. For example, if a player is waived out of the face-off due to a violation, the predictions have to be updated to two, to new matchup based on real-time streaming sensor data the predictions also occur at sub-second latencies and are triggered anytime. All of this complexity had to be built in, and the resulting solution needed to have flexibility. So this is the kind of critical data that teams get. And it's not only just about face-offs, but it's about all elements of the game. And you, they have more data available to put into their analytics than defensive zone starts or, you know, zone exits or zone entries and those kind of things or Corsi or all of those things. So, again, the question is, if, according to the public analytics, and I'm not saying the public analytics numbers are wrong, but the public analytics and also the NHL team analytics, the, the things that they have access to, if all of those things said that it would be the most unwise decision to extend Rasmus Ristolainen, why would a team like the Flyers 
who have, again, committed five full-time staffers to their analytics department and clearly value it, defy the analytics guys on their staff. I mean, Chuck Fletcher had to go to his boss, Dave Scott, to try and get these things approved, to get these hires into the budget. If he were to fight for these hires to get into the budget and then not use the fruits of their labor or their presence or their employment, that would be like a quick ticket out of town, wouldn't it? It'd be like me hiring five accountants to do the taxes for my company and then going, yeah, you guys did them all, but I'm going to file them myself. I'm going to do it myself. It's just illogical to me. So it's just something I wanted to pass along in this episode for everybody to consider. Again, this is an organization that has clearly embraced analytics. It's not religion. It's combined with eyes on scouting and all of those things. It is a tool, and it's a tool that they value clearly enough to hire five people. So if they value it to that level, why would they defy it if the player was analytically that bad? And why would you consider committing six times six? Again, I don't know if he's going to extend here or not. I have no idea. I have no inside information. These are just the thoughts that go through my head. You have to think about that part of it. All right, that's going to put a wrap on this episode of Flyers Daily. Hope I gave you something to think about. Uh, I know it consumed my mind for the entire ride down to the Wells Fargo Center yesterday. Back tomorrow, we'll preview Flyers Wild, and that will give the Flyers an opportunity to get a win. We'll see if they can do it. So we'll talk to you tomorrow on another brand new episode of Flyers Daily.